Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find teachings, sermons, discussions, and additional content all related to what's going on here at Trinity. Trinity Galewood is located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago, and we meet Sundays bi-weekly at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God who is alive and active in this world. And Lord, as we tackle another big question, I pray that your spirit would guide and lead our conversation, our discussion to see you here today in this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So today we are continuing our series known as Explore God. And uh, in that, we are exploring seven big questions of life. You've probably seen the billboards around the city of Chicago. This is something that is going on in many different churches. And, uh, and I want to be honest, as I was last week, that, that this question is a big one, but th- how I'm answering these questions is my perspective to this really heavy question. This is Dave McGinley's answer. So if you are here today and somebody dragged you along and said, hey, we're going to church today and you're not a Christian, that is totally fine. In fact, we are excited that you are here with us today. But I want to be transparent that I know that my worldview, my understanding of this question comes from one with a Christian understanding. Now, it's worth noting that each of these questions have some intentionality to them. They are building up uh, upon themselves. So last week, we looked at the question, does life have purpose? Does life have meaning? And if you were here with us, you uh, witnessed that I stood up, I said, yes, life has meaning, and then I sat back down. No, that didn't happen at all, right? No, this is a a, a big question that comes with a yes or no, but the implications of that are huge. That if you say, yes, life has a meaning, that changes the way that you live in this world, or at least it should. And what we got to is we understood that that if life has a meaning, that, that its purpose should be more than something that can be taken away from us. Because relationships, money, most things in this world, our body, our image can be taken from us. But if our purpose and meaning is found in the hope and faith of Jesus, that can't be robbed or taken from us. That that goes on for eternity. We also discussed how these like big questions aren't generally questions that we just like wake up and say, oh, does life have a purpose? But, but instead, it's something that, that comes in seasons and times, times when we're really low, but also times where we are excelling or in moments of accomplishment. And it's in that light that we come to our second question, one that comes in times of anxiety and in great accomplishment. The question is this, is there a God? And the answer from my worldview and perspective is simply yes. 
but of course I'm not just going to sit down here. In fact, uh, there's great uh, explanation that comes here. And in 1961, uh, Russia beat the United States, unlike Rocky IV, all right? Uh, Russia beat the United States in this initiative to put a man into space. Uh, It was an exciting time in our world. And in fact, uh, the first person to arrive in space to leave Earth was this guy. His name was Yuri Gagarin. And Yuri... Uh, journeyed up into space. He spent a grand total of 108 minutes in space. That's it. And, And the world was watching in. I wasn't alive at this time, but the world was watching in on this moment and wondering what in the world did Yuri see? And one of the things that has been told that Yuri proclaimed whether he was in that spaceship or when he came back as he said this statement, I have been into space and I don't see any God up here. When you think about that, it's kind of a silly statement in a sense. Like, like that God is at some distance, that like eventually we will get to him. That he's like waiting for an astronaut to come out of the atmosphere and then boom, there's this creepy big guy standing there waving at you. (laughs) But it is a legit statement as well. Because the question becomes, if there is a God, then where in the world is he? If God exists, where is he? And for centuries, Christians have like tackled this question. They've answered it by saying, well, you know, we know that God exists because of his word. When we read the Bible, we know that God is real. And that Bible tells us about creation and everything in between. From the beginning to the end, it proclaims who God is. And therefore, we even read that that God is in these very words. Christians have answered that, well, God isn't just only there in the Bible, but he's also present in his sacraments. That's why as a church, when we come, we, we eat some really tasteless bread and drink some wine and we celebrate baptism because God promises that he's in those very things. And Christians even say that that God is present amongst the community of believers, that when we come together and act as the church should, God is there in the midst of us. And all of those are incredibly true statements. I believe and confess in those very things. But I'm willing to acknowledge that to somebody who does not believe that there is a God, that seems kind of silly. Kind of like saying, well, God's just in space waiting for us to get to him. And today, what I would love to offer is that I think that there is something inside each and every human being, something in our DNA, something in the DNA of everything around us that not only portrays beauty, 
but gives a reflection to the existence of God. And today I want to use this image, like three reflections in a sense. And when you think of reflection, I would love for you to see this image. Three reflections that are out on the water that show to something greater, to the existence of God himself. And the first of these reflections is found, I believe, in what God has created himself, in creation around us. I mean, it's so fascinating to me how we as people will spend ridiculous amounts of money and travel great distances just to see with our own, with our own eyes the creation that exists around us. I and mean, think about that for a second. We will spend all kinds of money to just go and see a beautiful sunset. We will spend all kinds of money to have property so that we can see that sunset more than once. That we as humans have something inside of us that when we are encounter these moments and we look at the bigness of what has been created, it points us to something greater, something of great significance that would put these things into being, whether that be a mountain, an ocean, a forest, or even the beauty of the stars. They all point us to something. In fact, the Bible would say this in Romans chapter 1, for his invisible attributes, speaking of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, that in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, that God's existence is seen in what has been put around us. About a month ago, I talked about this image when we were talking about God the creator, that, that all would agree that the wonder of creation is one that is incredibly wonderful. If you remember, we talked about how the world that we live in, all scientists would agree, is like a fine-tuned universe, like this old radio dial, that if it's off by a little bit, you and I are in big trouble because we can't exist. But there is someone, something that is holding these things in perfect tension and brings the perfect ingredient, the perfect signal for life to exist. The world that we live in, if we take moments, leaves us in awe, leaves us in awe of something bigger or greater. And, and with that, we also acknowledge that while this creation can be so beautiful, it also can be so destructive. I mean, this morning I woke up and I said, really? Eight degrees outside? Come on, God. I mean, seriously, the beauty of an ocean can be turned into the devastation of a hurricane. The creation that we live in is beautiful, but also reminds us of something a little bit bigger, but a, mo a little more of that later here. The second reflection that I see 
God in this world is that you and I are created to be in relationship. No human being is created to to be alone. The very fact that you are created or brought into the world by somebody else reveals that, that you are created to be in relationship. My, uh, a couple years ago, uh, this is a picture of my cousin Erin uh, and her husband Artis and their adorable son. And uh, my cousin Erin got married uh, a couple of years ago <clears throat> in Seattle, Washington. And uh, Gretchen and I flew out there for the wedding, and it was a beautiful ceremony. Uh, they had it in uh, Seattle in like July, so the weather was just perfect. I mean, it was like 65 degrees, it was green and beautiful, and, and the reception was actually outside. It overlooked uh, this lake, and it was just magnificent. It was, oh, it was so beautiful, and, uh, and we were sitting waiting for the wedding party to come in, and, you know, and everybody does their silly little dances and stuff like that, and, and, and Aaron and Artis had asked before uh, we kicked off the meal and the reception that they wanted to just thank everybody for being here. Because people had traveled from great distances. And, and my cousin Aaron, and even artists, by cultural standards, uh, had married late in life. Uh, and, and so uh, I remember Aaron standing up and thanking all of the family. And then she looked to her husband, artist, and, and she said these words. Artist, for many years I have waited and wondered if I would ever find you. But today is the day that I have found the person that I have been searching for. And I remember looking at my wife, and my wife was crying like a baby. <laughs> and I remember like trying to stare at the sun or something like that, and just be like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, right? Like, like in this moment, it was a reflection of that we are created for relationship the beauty of what was happening in that moment. Now, I'll be very honest here. I hesitated to share that story because for some of us, we think that life isn't complete until we have a significant other. And if you think that what I'm saying is that, oh, crap, this means I gotta get married now, you miss the whole point. We are created for relationship, and that is not just found in somebody that we love, but that is found in community and people. The very fact that we were born into community displays that we are created for relationship. We find this in our world all the time, that as we try to connect with people in any platform or way possible, we are created for relationship. But I would even argue that this also points us to the God who exists in the world because the name of this church, Trinity, is revealing that God himself is in relationship, that what we confess and believe is that there are three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that are one divine being, it's really complicated, but let me give you a hint. What that means is that they are working in relationship, revealing that you and I have something deeper in our DNA, that we too are created 
for relationship. And lastly, the third reflection that I see that is deep inside of our DNA that shows the existence of God is found by our desire and yearning for justice. Justice in this very world here today. I think about it for a second. You and I all desire for things to be right and fair. If you don't agree with me on that, well then why do we have a court system? Why do we have officials and systems that are put into place that are given the task to execute justice? And are they perfect in doing that? No, they are not. But it shows and proves to us that there's something deep inside our DNA that we want justice. We desire justice to happen. And we argue often. We have something inside of us that says someone must care for this present world and for our present selves. This is deeply rooted in who we are. We want justice here in this place. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Tim Keller. He, uh, he writes this in his book, The Reason for God. He says this, that if the world was made by a God of peace, justice, and love, then this is why we know that violence, oppression, and hate are wrong. If the world is fallen, broken, and needs to be redeemed, that explains the violence and disorder that we see. That if we believe that God exists and that he is one who is about justice and compassion and love, then that goes to show why there is brokenness and fallen a fallen nature inside of this world, that it needs redemption and that justice is on its way. And as we said before, this, this is why this weekend is so important for us as a community, as a people, that as we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we we, we see a man who reveals to us once again our desire for justice, that things should be different. And as you probably know, his conviction for doing so was out of his faith. It's because of his belief that God exists in this world and that no matter the color of your skin that you have and you should have, rather, equal rights and opportunity. And that we still, as a community, are working out and need to continue to fight on what this looks like and how this should be. Now, while we see these three reflections... Each of these three reflections, thinking back to that image, bring beauty. That when creation is seen, it can bring beauty. Relationships can bring that beauty. And when justice is done in the right sense, it is beautiful. 
Yet we also see with each of these three that creation can bring devastation, that relationships can and will be broken at times, and that justice can lift up some and in moments also oppress others. And it's for that reason that I identify these three things, not as God in and of themselves, but they are reflections of God and show his existence in this world. And they point us to the one who brings these things into this world. In fact, in Romans chapter three, verse 24, it says this, and are justified by his grace, that's the grace of Jesus, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For us as believers, we look to Jesus and his death and resurrection and see how before the beginning of the world, he was there creating, that he establishes relationship with us and God and even amongst each others, and that will be done in a just and fair way by how he sees it to be. Now with that, though, you might be saying like, okay, I get it. I see these three reflections, down with some of them, but others I've got some questions. I mean, like why does God seem to allow so much of that pain to happen, like eight degrees on a Sunday morning? Well, if that's your question, it's a great question, and you're going to want to be here next week because we're talking about why does God allow pain and suffering? But I think another part of this is to acknowledge, can I have doubts about who God is and his existence? And if that's you today, if you're in this place of where it's like, yeah, I'm, I get some things, but I'm, I've got some big doubts about some things. I want to I point to you a story that we read here earlier about a guy named Thomas. Thomas is known uh, as one of Jesus' disciples what that means is that he was in the crew. He was one of the 12. And Thomas uh, is famously known as Doubting Thomas. You've probably heard the story before, at least that image. And Thomas, uh, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he heard the news about it. And he said, you know, hey, that's incredible, but I'm not going to believe until I can stick my finger in the hole of his hand and place my hand in his side. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes forward. Interestingly enough, has still holes in his hands even after he's been resurrected. And Thomas sticks his finger into that hole. He places his hand into his side. And Jesus says these words to Thomas. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's a beautiful story. But, that, but then, the author of this book, John, 
he gives this little conclusion statement towards the end of his writing. I think it's so important to see the reason why John was writing this very text, the reason he told the story about Thomas and the reason that he told about Jesus turning water into wine would be for this purpose. He continues with these words, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That life itself is found in believing in him. In this world and for eternity. There once was a man named uh, Sheldon Vanocken. And uh, Sheldon uh, grew up uh, as an atheist, really smart guy. And uh, he spent most of his life not believing that God existed and argued with many Christians for a long time about this very thought. But uh, as time went on, Sheldon decided that he should actually read the teachings of Jesus. And so he, uh, he did. He, he studied the things that Jesus had to say. And, and, and in that, he, uh, he wrote a book that was entitled A Severe Mercy. And Sheldon, um, in this book, describes how he has this image of his life, an image that describes him to the T. He says um, that I imagine myself as uh, standing at the edge of a cliff, and that as I'm standing at the edge of the cliff, I see in front of me this large gap, and the gap between where I stand and God is there. And in this gap, the thing that would remove this gap or make it smaller, or actually rather, take that back, to remove this gap would be a belief and trust in Jesus as the Son of Man coming into this world, living and dying and living again for me. Maybe you've seen that image before. But then Sheldon says something really interesting. He says, at that moment then, I turned around and I noticed that there was another cliff, a gap in front of me. And, and he didn't even really know what it led to, but it was one that would require him to if he took that route of life, that it would require an act of faith. What Sheldon was doing here and what he's portraying is this thing that's so important that we must understand for all human beings. Because some would say that a life in, in Jesus is found in just a life of faith, and that seems kind of silly. I'm a person of reality, and I don't have any faith. I'm a person of science. But listen to Sheldon. He says that we all are people of faith. We all live our lives on basic presuppositions that cannot be fully proven. Yes, 
God cannot be proven by science, but he cannot be proven or disproven either. And for Sheldon, that led him to a place of stepping forward to God, trusting in the words that Jesus had said, trusting in those words that John would write thousands of years ago, that this route would bring me life, and life to its fullest. You might be saying like, okay, like, all right, get in the car, it's really cold outside, really glad the heat is working in here. What does that even mean? All right, there is a God, there's reflections. How do I live now? What does faith in Jesus look like? That seems kind of big and just broad. Glad you asked. Three little things here, real quick. Number one, faith in Jesus is a faith in belief. Faith as belief. I'd be willing to bet that few of us understand how wings create the conditions of an enormous airplane to take flight. But all of us would believe it happens because we see it happening and we're willing to step on a plane. See, of course we may believe because we've seen or experienced it, but the point remains, we do not have to fully understand something to believe it to be true. As a life of faith, there will be things that we will not be able to fully grapple and understand, and that's okay. But it leaves us in a place of that faith comes with knowledge to learn more of what these promises are. To have a, a faith in Jesus means that not only that I believe, but I trust. Uh, imagine one of your friends came forward and said, hey, I've been working on this project, and um, I, I put together a, a broken wooden chair, and it looks like this. And faith here is not just saying, yep, that's fixed, that looks really good, nice work, pal. But faith is actually sitting in that chair and believing that that chair will hold the weight of you. And faith isn't just a matter of knowledge, but it's also an action of trust. One that I'm willing to step in and trust the very God who exists and says that I should believe. And trust in him. And lastly, this faith in God and Jesus looks like faith as faithfulness. That in the midst of tough times, in the midst of when it's not the popular thing, in the midst of when struggle happens in this world, I cling on to my faith. Because it is my life support that I have. Exploring God leads us to ask big questions about God and who he is. And does he even exist? I pray today that as we look at this question, is there a God? May we certainly 
Look to the places that he has promised, his word, the sacraments, that God is here in this place. But may we also look even deeper, deeper to the creation that exists around us in the relationships that we are wired for and have and in our yearning for justice. May that lead us to a faith that believes, a faith that trusts and a faith that clings and holds on to it even when it seems to be silly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you're a God who has come in this world, in this place. And God, you are one who invites us into this mission. I pray, God, that as we come forward with our doubts in our insecurities, maybe our big questions about you. May we be so bold to bring those to you. And God, whatever, wherever we're at in this, in this journey, whether that's just maybe acquiring more knowledge or, or like where the rubber meets the road that now I actually have to believe and trust, God, may we be reminded of you in this place, in this world, and how you are moving and pushing us forward to see you more fully. And God, may that just give us purpose and meaning in all things that we do. It's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.